Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Josh Smith, who's an author and pastor, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode with Josh Smith. Before we dig into uh, the episode, we'd love to share with you that we are launching our newsletter. So if you're interested in staying up to date with all of the Guys Like Us podcast episodes, um, and if you're curious of other things that we are thinking of doing uh, to add value, to add content, um, that is relevant to what you are thinking, wrestling with, um, and navigating right now in your journey, please visit our website, theguyslikeus.com. At the bottom, you can enter your email and information, and then we can stay in contact and you can stay up to date as well. Well, today I speak with Josh Smith, who's an author and pastor. We discuss Paul's letter writing to Titus about manhood, about uh, some foundations, um, some marks or qualities of, uh, of a godly man, as described in the book of Titus. He, he identifies 10, and we discuss his latest book, The Titus 10. We get into the authority of a man, the mission of a man, and really what we can identify um, as some qualities, uh, again, displayed in Titus. So we break down a few of these, but then really open up the conversation for you to look and read in the text as well in the book of Titus um, as a primer into uh, into this text. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with Josh. Thanks, Tyler. I'm really excited about having this time with you. Yeah, nope, it's my joy and looking forward to it as well. And know you're fresh um, off the latest book release and so certainly would love to get into that and uh, there's you know I was just telling you our church just got through this through the book of Titus as well so it's it's fresh and it's it's new and it's it's exciting and I know you spent a lot of time in the book of Titus but just to give our audience really um, a little bit more about your background and they can hear the the story behind the the book here the just of the, the author can you just share a little bit more about your um, experience, faith experience growing up, your kind of church life, and uh, and then how you really got involved into the ministry of, of uh, pastoring, and then now, you know, writing writing as well. Sure. No, my uh, my father was a pastor, so I grew up in a pastor's home. As a matter of fact, I have this picture. It's, it's actually a, a frame with a bunch of pictures in it in my office, and it's got both of my granddads and great-granddads and my dad, and they're all preachers, so fourth generation on both sides. Oh, wow. So I tell people I, sell, I try to sell insurance, but we just that's what we do. We do the ministry. So uh, but out of all of the people in my family, I really wasn't confident I would be in the ministry. Yeah. But I got saved uh, after 10th grade and started to feel a call of missions and pursued that all the way through college. Graduated from college, went overseas for about three years in Central Europe and ministered when I was single. Mm-hmm. Came back, went to seminary. And when I went to seminary, I got offered an internship at a local church. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I fell in love with the local church. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I loved – I fell in love with being around old people and young people and kids and families. And I, yeah. I don't know why. Just that never – I never got the bug for that when I was growing up. But I fell in love with the church. And so a lot of stuff in between, but have been pastoring now um, 
for about 17 years mm-hmm. at two different churches. I was at a church in Dallas, Texas for over 11 years. And then about five or six years ago, I uh, came to where I am now, Prince Avenue Baptist Church in mm-hmm. Athens, Georgia. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yeah, so just would love to, to get a little bit more into the, the book and kind of what you've yeah. been, been sharing recently. And so, um, yeah, Titus 10. And so it's, yeah. it's been out, it's, uh, we're recording in October. It's been out for a little bit now. And what prompted you to write a book kind of on just on Titus and what, what yeah. was the, what was the, what was the excitement and really the, <laughs> well, the I never thought I would it. write a book on Titus. Uh, the story is I was in my first pastorate. And there was a couple of things I was watching happen. I was in a church that was about 52 years old as a church. They had had their 50th anniversary, and um, I was—I still had charter members. I had like five charter members in the church, and these were just really good, solid, godly men. Mm. And they would tell me stories about they came to the end of the service. They didn't have enough money to pay the pastor, so they took out their wallets and gathered some money and paid the pastor after Sunday and went door-to-door selling church bonds to pay for the first move. And I just yeah. I just thought, man, these guys are incredible. And then what was happening is I was doing their funerals. They were dying, sure. and I wasn't seeing another generation like them come up. Hmm. And that was combined with the fact that at that point, we didn't have enough money to hire new staff, and I was dying. I mean, it was a decent-sized church. It was my first pastor. I was like 32 years old. I just needed some men. Right. Well, so prayed through it. This was probably this is about 15 years ago now. I I, the, I know the first time I I did this was 2008, and um, 2007, 2008. I I just I just prayed out. I, I don't know how to invest in men. So sure. Uh, the the idea the Lord gave me was to get 10 men at a time, ask him to give me 10 weeks to go through the book of Titus, hmm. and I called it the Titus 10, and and I spent 10 weeks uh, at a round table. Ten guys at the table. The only kind of qualification is that the group had to be made up of guys of different age groups. So I'd have mm. two guys in their 80s and 70s and all the way down to the 20s. We just started walking through Titus verse by verse. That's yeah. it. And 10 weeks. And I got the opportunity. I picked Titus because I wanted to talk about church government a little bit. I wanted to talk about character. Uh, I wanted to talk about sure. multi-generational ministry. I wanted to talk about sure. the gospel. Yeah. Um, like everything was in there. Yeah. And so we just started talking through it. 15 years later, I'm still taking guys through Titus. So. Oh, it's amazing. And so it's been in the works for a while is what, I, what I'm hearing. Yeah, so this is something yeah. I've been teaching. Uh, when I left my church um, about 11 years ago, I'd taken 120 men 10 at a time through the book of Titus. Wow. Uh, and I really think, honestly, out of everything that the Lord allowed us to do there, I, I feel when I look back on that ministry, I, I don't know of anything I did that probably had any more value um, than, than right. doing that. Right, yeah. right. No, I, 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 it's really interesting. I, I was just sharing with you a little bit in one of the previous churches, and some of my experience has been in younger um, generations. So a lot, you know, it's uh, probably folks in their twenties and thirties. So young families was kind of the the, the upper end, right, of of the right. ages, and a lot of folks in college. And given the nature of, I think, of the city, but also just in the, I think, type of expression, and um, and I, I think that was great. But one of the things I am now really, really, uh, I guess, excited about is being able to be in relationships with folks who are, you know, in young, young married couples, you know, couples that are have young children, but then also, you know, my wife and I have over a couple who are in their uh, late 70s. And, um, you know, we've, we go and visit different groups and pop in. And it's just so, so interesting to hear, hear kind of from these other generations. I think that's really rich. I think one of the, I guess, why, you know, manhood, godly manhood now, writing the book now, and 
you know, I, I, I think that there's a change in this generation of this up kind of, I'm in my late twenties now, a lot of younger men are facing some challenges and right. The critique is always, well, every gener every past generation says that about the upcoming generation. Right. But I was like, well, maybe, but then I also noticed that even the generation above them, right. So this, this is 60s, 70s are saying, no, there's actually a lot of new challenges to generations. So this upcoming generation. So really just kind of why now for reinstilling kind of, or really, yeah, making this into a, yeah, taking, take, taking that next step of kind of turning it sure. into a book and saying, well, well, why is this so important right now? Yeah. Well, I think for me, I mean, just personally, um, I've been seeing this bear fruit for 15 years. So I think the most encouraging thing to me about what I finally put on paper is yeah. I, as a pastor, right. I think most pastors have no idea how to invest in men, but they know they want to do it. Right. And that's how I felt. And so this this kind of grew out of my searching for something. And um, mm. I, I think as I was watching coming into a new church, doing it again, seeing, OK, this wasn't just working because of my context, that mm-hmm. this is bearing fruit. Um, I, that's when I thought, you know, I had to try to get this in print just really to serve the church was kind of my thought. Sure. And it changed a lot when I, I used to do, do verse by verse. And one of the things I make clear in this book, the Titus 10, that it's not a commentary on Titus. I, having studied these 46 verses, I mean – over and over and over. I really found in them 10 foundations for manhood. Mm, mm. And they, they came to me. I mean, they, they seemed to me really foundational, pivotal. And, you yeah, know, I think yeah. you're right, Tyler. There are a lot of new challenges for this generation. But one of the things I've learned, having been in all of these groups of mm-hmm. multi-generational men, yeah, that's right. a lot of the challenges are the same. Like a guy would share his story and he's 22 and an 80-year-old guy in the room would go, hey, man, I can we get lunch? Because I know exactly what you're talking oh, about. Oh, wow. Yeah. But once you can get those guys in a room, I think there's a lot more similarities than there are than there are differences. And honestly, I'm hoping that this book done in the context of guys sitting around in a room and we can talk about how yeah. we do that. But um, my hope is that it bears some of that that fruit of multi-generational relationships. Yeah. Well, so, so, so tell me after the you know years of doing this, what are some of the the coolest things that you've been able to kind of witness and see and really change in people's lives? Sure. Yeah, I just you know. One of the things we talk about in yeah. this book is 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 God's uh, d- original design for manhood. So the first right. chapter gives dominion. What has God created you? And then how yeah. um, through sin, uh, manhood has been shattered, right? And so we want to restore that. Basically, we're trying to restore God's original intention. We do that through the gospel. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, when you get through two chapters, like I, I do a chapter on the difference between identity and assignments. Mm. So just seeing the light come on when a guy realizes his entire life, his assignment, meaning his job or whatever it is, has become his identity. And so I'm seeing guys who are starting to figure this out. But what I'm realizing is there's other guys in the room who are older. Their identity became their assignment later in years in life. And then all of a sudden they lost their job. They didn't know who they are. Identity crisis. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so those guys are having conversations together around a round table. And that's the way I do it now. I teach it with a lot of tables. I'm doing the teaching, but there's six or seven at round tables. And then they have discussion afterwards. Yeah. I'm just – Man, I'm just realizing these guys need each other. They need honesty. They need these conversations. So seeing the light come on with things like identity, mm. seeing guys engage more in their local churches to engage more with their families. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I taught, I'm finishing up a group right now. So yeah. I, I, on week nine right now, and I've got yeah. my last one uh, next week, but a guy came up to me after yesterday morning 
and just said, hey, specifically, I want you to know how this has encouraged me and helping me yeah. and my family. My wife and I have started to pray together. We've never done that before. So wow. just a lot of fruit like that that's just encouraging. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I, I That's one of the ones that when I was looking through was and reading through was identity. And that was one of the ones yeah. I circled. And um, I think there is such a, a, a great confusion of what our identity is. And we get lost in other type of idols, right, that are kind of become who we are. Oh, well, th- this is the job. This is what I've done. This is where I've dedicated and, you know, devoted many hours, many sacrifices have gone through this work. But now that's gone. Who am I? Right. That's it. I'm moving from college into the into the into the world. I'm no longer a student. Who am I? What job? What career am I going to take? Right? I'm retiring, um, and yeah. I, I feel like there's a there's a new assignment to be involved in the church, be involved in my family, be involved in these things. And it's well, who am I? And so, can you? Want, I I love how you kind of break down some of the different components of identity. Would you mind just kind of sharing us a little? little time frame into that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, doing one chapter on this was, was challenging. So, and because right. I feel like someone, I'm doing a men's conference here in a couple of weeks. And basically what I do in those is I say, pick four or five of the chapters you want me to talk about and I'll talk about them. And the number one they said is we really need you to talk about identity. And so in a conference, and yeah. I love to flesh this out more, but man, the truth is, you know, you mentioned all those stages of life. I, you know, it's when kids go off to college and a husband and wife don't know who they are anymore. And a guy loses his job, like all of this stuff. So one of the things I try to do is first of all, show how the gospel redefines you, how Jesus wants to redefine hmm. you. And then I try to give them some categories in their relationship with God that help them form their identity. So there's four specific ones. I, I talk hmm. about um, a believer as a slave. So I think all of us start in a slave relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. We say, yes, sir. And we go and we mm-hmm. submit everything to him. Right. But that's not where we end. I think a lot of people have spent their entire life in a slave relationship with Jesus. And he's always our our master. But he also wants to move into a father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. And so helping a guy understand that he's a son. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most powerful and beautiful moments in the Gospels is when uh, Jesus is baptized. God the Father opens up heaven and publicly says in front of everyone, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. At that moment, Jesus gets from his father what every son wants from his dad. He wants to hear, you're mine, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He wants to hear, I love you, and he wants to hear, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um, that's what he wants, and God the Father gives that to him. God the Father says, you are my son, and then through Christ, we're then adopted into family, and he says the same to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just, I think even the light coming on of sonship, you know, and then moving on from there into friendship. I mean, John 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you slaves, I call you friends. And so we can move closer into that friendship relationship. And ultimately, the fourth category is into that intimate. um, I talk about this in the book, a book for men, this sounds odd, but in this really passionate love relationship with Jesus, like where there's just uh, you falling in love with Jesus. And so trying to get them to, you know, define themselves by these categories that God has given us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's that's really interesting. And I think... um... Well, it's, it's, it's funny. I come from a family that's kind of very driven, very get, get down to business. Right. And so even hearing the word like love, like, you know, I love you or that is not as verbalized necessarily as much as my wife's family, who is like, it's all the time, you know, before bed, I love you. And so even, even just kind of, yeah, even how that plays out in our own life here. Right. And then, and then kind of connecting that to how we connect and relate to God as well is yeah I, I think we we all come and have one you know 
we kind of focus or emphasize on one area of what we're, we really understand God as God is our, as our, as our father or as our master, but we right. don't, don't fully understand. Oh, actually he's also our friend. And as kind of, as you, you mentioned, which is still kind of hard for a lot of us to wrestle with, right. It's like this, this, this deeper kind of romantic. I don't even know how, how would you phrase that? This kind of deeper love. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I don't want to say romantic cause that just sounds no, weird, but it's, it's, it's super tough, but uh, you know, when I think about the church as the bride of Christ and the fact yeah. that our destiny is the marriage supper of the lamb. And then like, right, right. you can't deny that this is here. I, I, I tell a story in the book about how sure. I called an older pastor friend of mine, a mentor and told him, listen, I really think this ultimate category, like the ultimate place we want to get with the Lord is in this love relationship. And he says, yeah, I can't go there. That's too feminine. And so I know it seems awkward, but the reality yeah. is, is the the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Yeah. There should be this passionate affection and love and longing and desire for God and for intimacy with him. Mm. Like, right? Like just mm-hmm. the ability to be alone with God and to connect with God and to communicate with God. Mm-hmm. And if you think mm-hmm. about the slave master relationship, the master sure. doesn't care how the slave is doing necessarily. Like it's, you do what I tell you to do. We don't talk. We don't discuss it. Father, son, they discuss more, but there's still a lot of authority there, right? Right, right. Friend is much more side by side and we're walking together, but there's something different in that intimacy that's beyond a friendship that in some way God wants us to experience with him. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Two other ones. I, I, it's funny you kind of mentioned this at the conference, and this is kind of what I was thinking. Like, let's. There's 10 of them. Let's see if we can maybe focus on a couple. So right. um, two others I want to kind of deep dive in a little bit deeper would one be on the authority of man mm-hmm. and then also on the mission as well. And I think two areas yeah. that were, that stuck out to me most and perhaps will resonate with our audience. So can you explain a little bit what you mean about the authority and you dedicate a chapter on authority? Yeah, I'd love to. So one of the things I talk about is that there's two postures that every man needs to be in frequently. He needs to be on his knees, humble uh, before the Lord, and he needs to be standing uh, in basically the authority that he receives from the Lord. And so Jesus uh, talked a lot about his being under authority. Mm-hmm. He was under authority. Jesus was also walking in authority. Uh, I too, uh, you know, has people that are um, that are under his authority. And so I think you get this idea with Jesus that Jesus was constantly under authority, but constantly walking in authority. The Son of Man certainly had mm-hmm. authority, and that's mm-hmm. true for us as well. So right. a man that walks tries to walk in authority without walking under authority is going to abuse authority. So I do have to walk in authority. What I mean by that is like, I have to feel the weight of my God given responsibility and that I'm going to stand before God and mm-hmm. how I deal with my own flesh and how I love and navigate with my family and my job, whatever God's given me and the responsibilities. So a man needs to walk in his authority. And, and, and I think I see a lot of men um, who, who feel uncomfortable in some way leading the way that they should. And so I think this becomes healthy and balanced when we begin by walking under authority. So I exist for the Lord. I don't yeah. do anything he doesn't tell me to do. I'm under his authority. And so the authority that I walk in um, is something that's fueled by my sense that God has called me to do this. Right. Uh, he's filled me with his spirit. And then in a way that is holy and righteous, I am fully functioning in the areas God has given me. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I, yeah. I hesitated in this chapter. I think it's a really big thing. I, there's so much abuses of this idea, and I, yeah, I, I struggled with how to navigate this, but I, I still think it's there. I think passivity is one of the greatest uh, tools of the enemy in the life of a man. 
uh, passivity is is a real um, is a real problem. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, I I make this case from the book of Proverbs in the book that sure. there's no workaholic in the book and of Proverbs. Uh, there's just a sluggard, and the reason is is because a workaholic is just a sluggard at home. He works hard at work, but he yeah. goes home and doesn't work. That's right. And I just think there's this sense of like, I've got to understand God has called me to be a husband, a father, and I need to, I need to feel the sense of, of responsibility with that. That's kind of what I mean by that God-given authority. Hmm. But I can't live that way unless I'm constantly under the authority of Jesus Christ and receiving from him. So I yeah, no, no, it brings any clarity. Well, that, uh, one of the things, right, with the Cretans is they're, they were known as kind of lazy and uh, oh, tremendous. Oh, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Yeah, yeah. And so certainly Paul called that out. And um, Well, and let me, let, one of the ways I see this is, you know, so yeah. this church in Crete is a disaster. Paul says, I left you, Titus, in Crete to put what, um, what remains in order. And the first thing he does is says, find godly men. Because, this is Titus 1, there yeah. are rebellious men in the church that are destroying and upsetting entire families. Right. And then at the end of chapter 2, he says... Um, rebuke and exhort with all authority, let no one disregard you. That's an unbelievable verse at the end of chapter two. So what he's saying to Titus is, Titus, it is your God-given responsibility to walk in the authority you have as a man of God, to deal with the rebellious men and to get the right men in place. Well, a guy who doesn't feel a sense of his God-given authority is never going to be able to do something like that. I mean, this took some extreme courage for Titus to get the wrong guys out and the right guys in. Right. But he said, right. do this with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's an incredible verse. I, I, that, that was really challenging, or at least in the, the understanding of even people within the church, even elders or people who are in the positions of authority will be deceived and like you will need to like root out, so to speak. Right. And, and that was, I think a lot of us approach church as this is a safe space or like this is our this is a nice covered over area and it it is but at the same time there is warning perhaps of definitely definitely warning of like you know there's always always be on guard always be watchful and have good discernment and understanding some of these really important marks and characteristics of kind of the, the men that are being raised up and the people that are really coming into the church so yeah well and that that the the church create the battles over the gospel right they were they were of the circumcision party trying to add something to the gospel and i think that's the reason right. paul was speaking to titus so strongly this is not a secondary issue and paul i mean titus you've got to go in and get this right yeah you know? and here's the reason the book of titus is so good for men it's not a book for men but it was written from one godly man to another sure but the key is the whole book is titus you got to go find godly men and mm-hmm. put them in place and so because of that the book really does have a lot to say for men. Yeah. 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 Just the last thing I want to add that okay. was really fascinating, right? Is even going back to the garden, we see the authority or we try and take the place of God. And so trying to establish our authority even over God or that we don't right. or not aren't in need. And so that's always that's a temptation within us. So I, I, I really resonate with that understanding where we are, that we still we do have authority and God has given us dominion and authority, but still like someone's like lowercase a or like I don't even know try to how do you could create that analogy of that but it's yeah, yeah. well it's i think it's the idea of walking under authority and that's right. the model of jesus jesus uh john that's right. uh, the whole book of john five specifically talks a lot about jesus doesn't do anything unless the father tells him to do it 
Right. And so that's if right. we're walking un constantly under authority, that that's that's the key. Right. Yeah. Last one I wanted to just touch on was on mission. Um, and so I don't know if this is connected at all, but one of the things I, I know guys like to do is have them like go out and do something and right. go out to, you know, we're go out, let's go out and play golf. Let's go out and yeah. do cornhole. Let's go out and bar and grill. Right. Right. Even if you're going to go sit there, you're still going to do something. And so, <laughs> uh, I think there, our conception of mission is something that I think needs some clarity and, um, sure. just some understanding. So we'd love for you to kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I, I begin that chapter chapter by talking about men without a mission are dangerous. Um, and it's because we're created in the image of God. God is a missionary God from the very beginning. And so God has created us to have a mission. And oftentimes a man's like midlife crisis is his lack of a mission. So he, he, he comes to a place in his life and he thinks there's got to be more to life than this. And he doesn't know what it is. And so he grabs it at a hundred other ridiculous things in order to feel a sense of excitement and calling and, and really mission. And so as we've been created in God's image, we have to have a mission and we have to have a sense that we've been called to something that's big and great. Mm. And so I talk about that. I talk about how in the depth of the heart of every man, he's looking for something exhilarating. And I think there's right. been books for men in the past that have tapped into that. But, but at times you can tap into that desire and then the solution to that has been, well, men need to go on camping trips and they need to do, you know, exciting things. Right, right. Well, maybe so, but not ultimately. Sure. Ultimately, the, the desire for that mission, that driving bigger than ourselves mission is a call to be involved in the mission of God, yeah. um, to declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Titus talks a lot about that, this idea of being zealous for good works, of knowing the gospel. And God has always wanted to create a people for himself, zealous for good works. That's the end of, uh, of Titus 2. And there's just there's just so much stuff um, in the book of Titus about be doers. Uh, this is a big deal. And so I just uh, I really emphasize those two things, yeah. declaring and displaying the gospel, not just to neighbors, but to nations. Uh, I talk a little bit about you know, unreached people groups and sure, uh, sure. how men should be involved in that. And then also just in the workplace. I mean, that the whole context of uh, really, really the book of Titus is chapter one, the church. Chapter two um, really is more about the family and family dynamics. And chapter three is the workplace. Mm. And so those three areas, we need to be really on mission with God in all three of those areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You spend, you spend a lot of time at home. You spend a lot of time at work. <laughs> you do. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about yeah. the, the first chapter on, domain, uh, on dominion. A yeah. man can't have dominion unless he has domain. So the four domains of every man are his own flesh. Right. He's got to take dominion That's over right. his right. church, his family and his workplace. Yeah. And I actually think the order of that is significant. And that's the con that's the order of Titus. I mean, it's just sure. how it works. Awesome. If, if there were, if you could turn this 10 week course and 10 week into, into three, what would be the, the three you'd consolidate oh, down to? Okay. Um, uh, three of the 10, three of three the, ten, the 10. Yeah. The sermon series is go, over. I think I'd yeah. go, I, I couldn't skip dominion just because I want guys to have an understanding of what God's original intention for them. Sure. Um, and then I would slip gospel in there without it being a number two. That just gets slipped in there. Okay. Uh, I would have okay. to do identity. Identity is, is really yeah. just significant. I uh, did getting that. And I, to be honest with you, I, the one on zeal is kind of my, maybe my favorite chapter. Yeah. Um, I love this idea of being zealous for good works. And I do a deep dive. I look at every place zeal is used in the Bible. And sure. particularly when Jesus overthrows the tables in the temple and yeah. like, what's going on with Jesus right there. Right. Like, zeal consumed him. What is that? And then, um, 
we're told to not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. And so zeal is something commanded and it's commanded in Titus. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that chapter on zeal. That would mm-hmm. probably be one I would do. Well, awesome. Well, Josh, uh, thanks so much for, for sharing a little bit about the, about your story, your background and, and the book as well. And uh, I know it's a timely message for a lot of the, a lot of folks listening, a lot of the guys here. And, um, uh, it's certainly, uh, it's a timeless, timeless truth as we know. And so how, just what are the best ways to find you and sure. stay in contact and, and all that good stuff? Sure. Well, uh, I'm not on social media much, but the Titus 10 and that's mm-hmm. one zero, not T and, uh, that website is up and it's got a couple of videos on how I use the book. Okay. Uh, I began in a smaller church with just 10 around at a table. I love that. Now that I'm in a larger church, I'm, I'm doing about a hundred guys at a time, but they're all around small tables and the leaders of those tables I teach, then they have 20 minutes of discussion and the ministry's happening at the table. So that's, yeah, that's, that's right. very fruit. Okay. Um, our church is Prince Avenue Baptist Church, so pabc.org is where sermons and those things are. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just I really yeah. just want the book to to serve the church and simply pastors really well and helping develop some men who love the church and their families. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And God bless. Appreciate it. Thanks.